welcome to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss. Each week, I bring you stories of inspiration, education, and my one big word is hope. Before we get started, I want to acknowledge my studio sponsor, The Motivated Mind Group, your creative agency right here in downtown Chandler. Today, my guest is Brock Bevel. He's a retired police officer who was run over on duty and ultimately retired from his injuries. The injuries caused him to endure numerous knee surgeries and constant rehabilitation. To deal with the pain, he was prescribed opioids. We're going to leave it right there because there's a lot that can be talked about with opioids. Please help me welcome my guest today, Brock Bevel. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is well, cool. this is cool because you and I did the Zoom thing when we were all stuck in front of our computers in 2020. So this is our first physical encounter, although I feel like I already know you. This is good. We needed this. We need this face-to-face -face <laughs> contact for sure. Oh, and when I had learned about your story and you being a retired medical retired police officer, we already know how opioids are killing people. How did you get caught up in this? You know, it was interesting. I went to a doctor, so I got run over in April 11th, like 2001. I was working as a police officer. Uh, a lady who was actually prostituting her daughter in exchange for drugs oh my actually uh, decided to run my partner and I over. And so I went to the doctor, and when I got to the doctor, I still remember him saying, Brock, you're a cop, so I'm going to prescribe you these medications, and you're not going to get hooked on them. Oh. So in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute. So I'm a cop. Car blanche, I can take this medication. I'm, I'm like Im immune to getting <laughs> addicted to it. And so that was my like really first understanding of opioids. But from being an undercover cop, from being a police officer, I really had issues with drug addicts yeah. and drugs yeah. because I'd seen the destruction that it caused. I, I had so many DUIs and accidents and yeah, it, I had a different taste for it as well. Well, I have a different taste because when you have a physician that's telling you that he's going to prescribe because you're a police officer, and then he's going to prescribe something that says you're not going to get addicted, that's an oxymoron thing. When you're talking about a drug that is on the streets that you and other police officers are trying to take off the streets, yet you had to have them because of an injury being on the streets. Right. Was there like a different prescription that was supposed to have taken place? Because right. I don't see that. I don't know. I just think he felt that I was above it, oh. that because I'm a police officer, like I would never succumb to addiction. Mm -hmm. And that was the impression that I got from him. Well, and that was not the case. No, but that makes sense. But it's not the case. It's not the case. And that's what we're seeing today is like, it's not. See, we see addiction as the guys roaming your streets. Mm -hmm. We see addiction as the guy that's homeless. Mm -hmm. That's not addiction. You know, that's like probably 1% of addiction in America versus the attorneys, the doctors, guys like me, Max Hall, who's my partner, a football player for the Arizona Cardinals. It's guys like that that are predisposed to addiction, that we have this addictive personality. Oh, we can't forget one other place that we know that there's medications. Grandma's medicine Grandma, cabinet. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I talked to a guy <laughs> a yesterday. A lot of them, right? That's how he started. He's grandma's oh, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. They think it's an innocent thing and they don't realize that it's much more than that, which goes into the next part because you and I talked about this when I talked to you in 2020. This was one heck of a journey for you when you got addicted and didn't even realize that your body was already addicted. Yeah, it was a 10-year process. So please. So you know what was crazy was I was taking medication for the pain for, for these injuries. I had surgery after surgery and then 
I noticed that I started self-medicating. The pain from the physical injury was gone, but the mental process, my, because when I retired, I left the department, I didn't have that connection with those guys anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that for me was the biggest loss was not having those guys. So I noticed that I, the more opioids I took, the better I felt. So let's back up because I don't think we talked about this. When you said with those guys, you were medically retired. I was. So when I medically retired, I don't know if you know how it is, but basically you go in front of a board and they sit you down and say, okay, Brock, here's your file. You are no longer fit for duty. And so going from being this physically fit guy who I thought I was a type personality to the next day being retired and now I'm home mm. um, and, and I hope nobody takes this wrong but now I'm going from living this life of like Nitro Circus and like it was fun it was a re you know chases and pursuits and making and, a difference too yeah. you were really out there helping other people we as well doing, yeah we were doing some cool things and then all of a sudden now I'm home changing baby diapers and washing dishes you're and a civilian civilian and for me mentally that didn't that didn't work it didn't compute I didn't have a transition. I didn't understand who I was. I lost my identity. I left it at the office. And now I'm like, okay, um, I don't love who I am. I'm a piece of crap. Wow. And that's really where I was going. So when I said I was self-medicating, I was using the opioids to kind of drown out those feelings. Wow. So it turned into an injury that was a medical thing. Then it turned into now I'm in a different world that I wasn't used to, to now it's self-medicating. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you want to talk about this, but I want you to talk about it. You had talked about when you got to a point where you were locked in your bathroom. Oh yeah. yeah. So that, you know, everybody asks about what your rock bottom in, in your recovery story is. And, and my rock, this was one of my rock bottoms where I reached over to grab my, my opioid to take for the morning because I was used to just grabbing one drinking water and I didn't leave it there, which was super uncommon. So I went to the bathroom, went to my medicine cabinet, opened it up and there were all my pills all my pill bottles were strategically placed with how many I had in there. And I, uh, I opened it up, I took one, closed the medicine cabinet, and when I closed it, it shined into my bedroom. So it gave me a glimpse of like who I'd become, and I'm like, holy crap, Brock, you're a crackhead, you're living in a crack house. And that's really what, because I, I had done search Give that warrants. physical description on what that oh, was. Oh, it was a disaster. I, I remember, I, I loved Polar Pops, right? Uh, 44 ounce soda, and I had them, they were everywhere, my dirty clothes, and he's just like trash everywhere. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, this is not, and I'm, I'm looking at the mirror, and that was one of the things that I never did. I never looked at myself in the mirror. I hated it. Like, when I say I lost my identity, I hated looking at the mirror, so that was a big struggle for me. So when I shut it and saw that, I'm like, oh, heck no. Opened it up, grabbed all my opioids, and I dumped them. And so this is, this is, I want to put like a disclaimer in there. Like that is not the way. So I'm looking at the audience. That is not the way that you uh, go through your process of detox. Today we have doctors and we have, we can go to a detox center. We can get medication and we can come off it. Me, I cold turkey in it. And I remember when I dumped it all, if I would have had scuba equipment and I could have got down in that, <laughs> that toilet, <laughs> I would have grabbed it because I was... Because now I realize, and that's what the big fear today with mm -hmm. fentanyl and, and opioids are, is I have to withdraw. I have to now cut myself off from those opioids, and I have to get off them. And so for me, all I could think about was, this is going to hurt. This is going to suck. I'm by myself. Because I've alienated everybody out of my life. Because I was, 
I was really good at lying. I was a good undercover cop. Mm. So I pushed everybody away. Mm. And when they asked me about the addiction, I'm like, listen, look at me. I have these surgeries. I have medication from the it. doctors. I could justify it. Ah, yes. And so it was like this vicious cycle that just kept going. But there was a moment of clarity in that bathroom where I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I locked myself in there. So the, the detox lasted seven days. And anybody that's on opioids would agree with me. That's about what it takes. And it was violent. It was the most violent pain. It was I want you to be descriptive because this is the real and the I, raw, and I want it to well, be Well, if known. we can be descriptive, I'll, I mean, I'll tell you the truth. I remember mm -hmm. the pain uh, initially was like, it, I felt like I had the flu. And then all of a sudden, it changes to cold sweats, to burning up. Uh, my leg, I remember one of my legs just ached so bad I couldn't feel it. And I was like banging it to yeah. try to get it to, I, I don't know what it was. It was like less... Uh, restless leg syndrome, but I was banging it. And then I started throwing up and I started dry heaving. And it got to the point to where I was defecating on myself. I was urinating myself. I had no energy. And then it, the dry heaves got so bad where I'm on all fours and I'm heaving. And all I can think about is, okay, God, my backbone is going to come out like shooting out my mouth because I, I, it's so violent. And that's what the opioids do because the opioids kill the pain, mm. right? And when you start detoxing, they're falling off the receptors. So all those pain are now, those pain receptors are firing saying, hey, dude, I need a pill. And so for that's me, that's the withdrawal and that's that why they withdrawal. go right back on. Oh, it. yeah. And most people say, I can go three days. I can like tough it out for three sure. days. And then after that, I'm just, I'm, I'm a mess and searching for it. So you, how long were you in this bathroom? Seven days. So legit seven days. And it was funny at day three. I mean, I have a relationship with Christ, right? I, I think in recovery, it's a, it's a major component. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a conversation and said, okay, God, I, I can't go through this anymore. Please let me walk out of here. Let me get out. And I'll be different. And I heard him laugh at me. Like we, he, he was like giggling at me saying, dude, if you I let you out yet. now, <laughs> you're going to go use just to get out of the pain. Yep. He goes, no, you're in it. Wow. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. And I, and when I heard that, I'm like, all right, this guy is really present. He knows what I needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And so for, for set, up to seven days and finally on that seventh day, I'm laying there and I'm like, I can't go another minute. I can't, I cannot do this. I'm broken. You know, we talk about that surrender that comes from recovery. Yeah. I needed this moment of surrender. And so I said, okay, God, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in control, but I'm going to ask you either take my life because I'm, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. Or give me a chance to like get out of this bathroom and make an impact on other people. How'd you know seven days was the, the final day that you knew you were going to through it? I was done. I was done. We talk about in recovery being done. You know, oh, you're finished or you're done. Okay. A lot of people say, I'm finished with using drugs. You're not. No, you're not. When you get to that point that you are done, yeah. like you're done, done. Finish is like, oh, I finished the race. Hey, I got a medal. Good. And I'm going to go do another one. <laughs> But being done is like, I've done it, I've completed it, I'm never going back. How do you and know so, you're not going back? Because we know with addictions, there's, you're always a recovering whatever the recovering addiction is. And, and so, you know, that's a big, that's a big thing we talk about. It. But we're kind of getting to the point where we're, that's not true. Mm -hmm. we're, we're realizing there's some, there's some bigger depth than that. Is like, how long do I got to kill myself an addict? I'm 14 years sober um, January 11th. Okay, okay? congratulations. Right? So do I, am I, st am I still an addict? Yeah, I mean, I probably am. But you won't relapse. But I'm never going back. Ah. 
And, and then people are like, well, you can never say that. Listen, I'm never going back because the fear of going back to use an opioid scares me to death. It, it, it legitimately scares me so bad that I just won't, won't pick it up. If I have surgery, I have to get knee replacements again from my injuries. Yeah. I'll never, I won't use it. No. I'll just find something else. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'm at, so. So, you know, I actually had an injury. I have scars here, and on my wrist I have plates and screws yeah. um, from an accident that I was in, and I didn't know what addiction was, and I had um, the same thing. But I, when I recognized, I'm like, whoa, my body's not liking this. I was like, cut cold turkey, too. But I did not have any addiction mm. at the level that you did. This was just a simple surgery, yeah. so I thought. So I don't think it was opiates. I think it was Percocet, actually. Kay. And it was still horrible because I went through sweats and stuff when I realized that I don't want my body to get used to it. Because I was like, yeah, pop it. But I was like, wait a minute. Because I was smart enough to recognize that this isn't where my body's supposed to be. So thank you for sharing that yeah. seven days. Um, that's crazy. So now you actually have a couple of good things going on here. Um, you have a program, but you also have a podcast, and you have a friend of yours who is, and you'd mentioned his name is Max Hall, NFL quarterback. What's his story? So Matt, Matt, we got to get Max on the show, but his story, his story is pretty cool. He actually went to Mountain View High School where his addiction started. Okay. Then he went to BYU and played four years at BYU and then got uh, picked up with the Arizona Cardinals and played for them, had an injury, a couple concussions, blew his shoulder out, and then got, was prescribed an opioid. And at that time, he got a concussion and it just worsened. So fast forward, I don't know, four or five years, it turned into a heroin addiction. He was arrested down the street at Best Buy. So imagine the paper going from an NFL quarterback to being arrested in Best Buy for shoplifting. That's why this is such a great pair for the two yeah. of you to do this program. I so want a shirt that says I arrested Max Hall. Like I told him I was going to get that <laughs> for fun, you know, because being a cop and then, you know, it's just fun. And, and I love the guy. You know what's cool is, is he's coming out of his own yeah. and, and talking to it. He, he, when we first met, I invited him on my podcast, Chase the Vase, the first time. He was like, I, I don't, I'm not a podcast guy. I don't like sharing my addiction story. Out of and, shame? Uh, not shame, more of just, uh, I think it was fear. Like, what are people going to, it's oh. kind of dead, right? People don't see it anymore. And if it's, if it's not in front of you, the next big thing's in their way. No one needs to know your yeah, past yeah. history. And so with him, it was like, I'm like, hey, no, I want you to be on this. And after we, we aired, I'm like, you know what? Um, we need to start a different podcast. Because I was doing my podcast on my own. But when I met with him and then I met a guy named Blue Robinson, who's a therapist in Utah, who owns Addict Athlete, the three of us said, hey, let's get a podcast together. And so now we have a men's mental health podca pa a podcast called uh, Addict Athlete or um, The Agents of Recovery. Okay. And so we do that and it's just, it's a blast where we get to openly talk about addiction and sobriety and relationships and how... Our lives are so different now out of addiction. And how many people get destroyed in that whole process? You know, it, including ourselves. Yeah, that was my biggest loss, yeah. was me. So with that being said, I'm going to reel it back a little bit. Let's go. With having been a police officer, and we talked about how you were out there trying to get these drugs off the street. You've already shared how they were found. How do you feel now? that you were out there versus you got suckered into it, not even knowing that you were gonna be brought into it. Well, I think that's the, that's the, 
we don't believe, I didn't think I was an addict. I'm not an addict. You know what I mean? If you look at me, you see me in Walmart, you're like, that guy, he, he's not an addict. Sure. You know what I mean? I don't look the part. And that's where I want to, I want to change that stigma to where there is addiction to opioids through prescription medication. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, we're hearing so much about fentanyl, we're hearing about these other, other medications, but really that's one of the big scares for me mm -hmm. is, I mean, right now you can't get Adderall. Adderall is kind of almost, it's, it's almost hard, it's hard to get for Remind people. Remind me what that's for. What's ADD? ADHD? ADHD? ADHD. Yeah. Oh, that was a huge thing for yeah. a long time. And so they're time. having a hard time getting that. So what's happening is these kids that can't get it, they're going to the street to get Adderall on the street and it's laced with fentanyl. Ouch. And so that's a prescription drug that yes. they shouldn't have a hard time getting, uh -uh. right? And it should be safe. And these prescriptions are not safe. Mm -mm. I'm not saying not to use them. I'm just saying, like, nobody was checking on me. I could go to any one of my doctors and say, hey, I need a different pill. This is not working. They would just give me whatever I wanted. Well, yeah. We already know about the pharmaceutical, but we're not going to go yeah. there. We're not going to go there. Um, here's a question for you. With having dealt with people on the streets, being a police officer at that time, and then now becoming a civilian and doing the work that you do, which we'll get into that, what would you, what advice would you give to um, parents or people that are around kids as a sign that they could look for to get it taken mm. care of now. You know, first thing I would say is nobody's coming to save you. No, nobody. The government's not coming to save us. The school's not coming to save us. As a parent, as a grandparent, as whoever's in charge, we're it. Yeah. And so my invitation to the parents is get involved. Mm. The biggest problem that I'm seeing mm. and across the board with addiction to pornography, addiction to, to drugs and everything is the cell phones. Mm. I was telling you before, like when I had to, when I was going to buy drugs, I had to, to go buy it. I had to make a face-to-face -face deal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Usually there was guns involved. He had a gun, I had a gun. Like it was unsafe and it was in some dark alley. It was, today kids get on their cell phone, get on Snapchat. They send emojis. They get emojis sent back. They get a drug delivered to their house mm. and paid for through Snubhub or one of those Grubhub or whatever that you use on our cell phones, it never touches, it's, it's a contactless drug deal. And so as a parent, I'm like, get, get involved. Parents are like, well, I don't, want, I don't want to break that trust. I don't want to look through my kid's phone. <laughs> you want to go to a funeral Yeah, you don't. You're going to go to a funeral because it's an epidemic. Fentanyl is, is scary. Mm -hmm. um, there was a case in, in Ohio where the detectives there found stamped Tylenols. If you would have put the white Tylenol, to, you could not tell the difference. So I have daughters. What happens if they go to school? They have a cramp. Mm. Go to a friend. Hey, you got any Tylenol? Do you have anything for me? Yeah, here you go. Disguised. It's laced with fentanyl. And, and the kids don't know it. No. It's illicit, right? They're yeah. doing that on purpose to make it look like it. So those are my biggest fears as parents. You've got to get involved. You've got to look. You've got to know what you're, what you're going through. Are there any signs of, or behaviors that could be recognized? Absolutely. We know our kids, right? You know, right. We know our kids really. If there is an immediate change in your child, there's something going on. If they're dressing different, they're staying out late, they're, their communication's different, all these like little red flags. Mm -hmm. But most times parents were like, ah, they're just going through, it's puberty, they're just going through, they're, they're meeting new friends. No, no, kids are very rigorous, mm -hmm. right? We were there They're once. very structured, yeah. So that's what I would say is I was like, pay attention to what they're doing. And, and if you wanna know anything, go to their phone. 
every single thing in life is recorded Absolutely. on messages on their phone. Absolutely. So pay attention to it. Ask them, hey, what's this emoji mean? I'm going to look it up. I'm going to go right now to Google and I want to know what's going on. What are you seeing? What's happening? So I got a couple things here. Kay. You talked about Chase the Vase podcast, which I know all about because when we were when we met via Skype, yes. because that's what we did in front of the 2020 era, and you got to do that. Um, tell us a little bit more about that podcast so that other people could listen in. Maybe some parents that need to have more information that are like not sure where to go. Yeah. So the Chase the Vase podcast is geared towards law enforcement first responders, okay. and so I, I usually bring parents on who are suffering, that had a child lost to addiction. So it's, it's mostly informative. So I do a lot of fentanyl on there. And then the second podcast, the one that I'm really proud of, and I love mine, you know, like it's our baby. Yeah, absolutely. But this, this one with Max and Blue is super cool. It's the Agents of Recovery. And what we do is there's three of us. And so we can bounce ideas off each other. We're all parents for fathers, you know, and we talk about, see the problem is in mental health, especially men's mental health, you ladies have it figured out. You really do. Listen. And the, We're just and, called crazy and that's okay. No, you communicate. You oh, talk to other yeah. ladies. You talk, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and for us guys, we don't, especially in law enforcement and, and A-type guys, we bury it. And we say, hey, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Okay. I got this. Okay. And then that's why you're seeing this skyrocket of law enforcement officers committing suicide. Because they're holding it in they're rather than communicating. In, yeah. That has to do with the society thing. Because I believe that communication go both ways. It doesn't have to matter whether you're female or male. You have that ability, but I'm not sure where that comes from. But you from. guys are better at it. Ladies are so much better because because they have that connection with friends that if they have something, they've already predisposed. Like I'm gonna go talk to my friend. Okay. And it's and it's cool. It's, uh, it works. Are we using the word ego involved in this? Is that why? Oh, it's why? totally ego. Oh. Guys, yeah, no, we don't no, want to. No. It's terrible. No. And. and you know, I, I had a similar situation where I put a gun in my mouth during my active addiction. I was driving up to my kids and I had a weapon in my car and, and, I, and I didn't call a single soul. What was that going to do for you? Just so I understand. Um, it was going to end the pain. It was just, I, I felt like if I ended it, my kids would be better off. And those were the lies that I was telling myself. Okay. And my kid, boys from the backseat talked to me and said, hey, dad, you're not a chump. You're not going out like this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it was my kid who wasn't even in the car that saved me. Mm -hmm. And so, but in my head, I had gone so far down this rabbit hole that I'm not worthy anymore. I'm not worth it. I'm not, I don't, I, uh, I'm hindering their growth. And so, but, but I never reached out to anybody. Mm -hmm. Why? Why didn't I call my people? Why didn't I call my team? Because I didn't have anybody. Your team being the police anybody, or anybody? Anybody okay. at this point, right? I, I didn't have anybody to call. Okay. So, but now I do. Now I have people Good. that I can call. And look at that. You're, yeah. a, cha you're a champ. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, it's, it's a lot better. Now when I have a stressor, I just go, hey, man, is it me? Is mm -hmm. it like, help me walk through this. Right. So right. it's cool. So before I ask my final question, Kay. you have a program that you, um, yeah. so tell us a little bit about that program. I'm super proud of this. So what you happened was be. Max Hall and I got together after this podcast and we said, hey, there's so many people in Arizona that need help. They need family help. So let's start a program. So we started Victory Recovery. It's in downtown Mesa. It is a counseling center. It's not a rehab. We want men and women coming in that need help, that are ready, that have detoxed, and they're going through their sobriety and they want someone to walk with them on this journey. And so Max and I are saying, we'll take you. We'll get you with the team. 
We'll help you build this program. And it's, uh, it's a reset five days that you start. We've kind of put you on this really rigorous. And then for the next four weeks, we you have you come in. We do checks and balances for four weeks. We teach. We have groups. And then it's just, it's working. Okay, so here's a question. We have professionals out there. Some people have not walked the walk. On your team are these individuals who have walked the walk to Every have an understanding. Every one of them. Thank goodness. There's nothing yeah. like hiring someone that says, I've got a degree, but they haven't walked the walk to understand the process that it takes. So then now you have a me too factor so that you have that trust. I'm all about the trust. It's all mm -hmm. about the trust. That foundation is trust. And so when you've got someone that's going to come to you that doesn't speak the language or doesn't want to talk about it for shame or whatever, we just talked about ego, you've got other people that are like saying, no, I've been here and it's safe. Yeah. You're all safe here, and we're going to get you through this. So yeah, that's we just we just had that on our podcast this week, where Max was talking about like his mental pursuit for the drugs. Yeah. Like, it's just like someone has to understand that when you say like I would have driven nine hours mm -hmm. for an eight ball, and a lot of people are like, why would you do that? And they would try to break it down, but someone that's gone, they're like, oh, absolutely, <laughs> I totally get that where you're at. Let's work through that. Yeah. So it's stuff like that, and I totally agree. Uh, we don't care if you have a degree. We have a, a doctor that, that can oversight all that. We want boots on the ground. And that's what Absolutely. we're doing is the boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. You have to have the boots on the ground. Where can you guys be found? Whether it's the podcast or the facility, where can it be found? So, so the Agents of Recovery on Apple and all that, okay. Chase the Vases on all of it. Our facility is at 1045 East University, Suite 2. It's basically Stapleton University. You can walk into the facility and come check Max and I out. Come talk to us. We're um, going to get Max on my show Yeah, next. Max, uh, <laughs> I'm challenging you, Max, to come on. No, if he's we throw them down with him, he's like, You'll, okay. No, he's a great guy, but he's super competitive. So if I'm one up at him, he's in. Oh, I'm competitive too, yeah. so bring it on. <laughs> but, uh, no, that's where it's at. And then we have, uh, it's victoryrecoveryaz.org, and you can find us. I mean, we're okay. really easy. Mm -hmm. I'll give you my phone number. You can call us like you have. And uh, we just want to, we want to be a help. When Max and I looked around in our addiction, we realized that we didn't have a lot of people. Or maybe you didn't think you did because you already said you pushed them away. That was the problem. Ah. We pushed everybody away. We so can't push people yeah, away. Yeah, we can't push people away. We, we need each other. And that's the biggest thing. Um, when people say, hey, how can I help? Yeah. Connect. Yes. It's all about connection. Absolutely. hundred percent. It's connection. Ooh, yeah. that was heavy. That was fast. I, okay, so here's my final question. First of all, is there anything I didn't ask, since this isn't my walk of my journey, yeah. that you want to share that makes sure it is out there? This is the opportunity for you to give that information, whether it's to parents or people on the street or law enforcement, I don't know. I think we did a good job. I, I would just say kindness goes a lot, long way. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting I didn't, it was weird, I knew I was loved, but I never felt really like someone wanted to help me mm. in, my, in my recovery. Mm. And I, I never want a person to come into our program to feel like I'm not needed, I'm not wanted, I don't want to be here. Mm. And so, you don't want to be a burden? Yeah, I don't want to be a burden, yeah. Mm. So you're not, you're not too far, you're not too far gone. You know what, I can say that I think every single person, no matter what their story is, has felt that way. 
that they're not worthy of something. Yeah, I don't know where that programming comes yeah. from. I really am trying to figure out where that part in the brain says you're not worthy, or if it's based on things that have happened in our life that has made us not feel that we're worthy. I'm not sure where that goes. But as Brock said, you are worthy, you are loved, and you cannot push people away. By the way, I'm good at doing that too. So I have to constantly remind myself, you can't do that or you're not gonna get what you're needing because you can't ask and then not expect to receive, right? Yes, ma'am. All For right. Sure. So here's my final question. You ready? I'm ready, go. All right. If there was only one question I was allowed to ask anyone to know the type of person that they are, this is the question. What message would you like to leave everyone based on your journey? Ooh. We serve a big God. Yes. I do know that. Um, as, as deep into the, the pain that I felt I was, I always had a way out. And it, it didn't have to be my connection, it didn't have to be my people, but I had a resource that I could have looked up and found my way out. And that's what I, that's what I did in that bathroom. And so I, that's what I would say is find you. This journey is all about you. It's all about the person that's struggling. Mm -hmm. You know, I go out in the streets every day and I ask these guys, hey, tell me one thing I can do to help you. And they all say the same thing is like, listen, you can't help me until I want to be helped. Mm. And so that's the invitation I'm throwing out there to, to everybody that's listening is help yourself first. Get up, right? Look up, get up. Our, our big thing is we fall, we fight, we overcome, mm. right? Every one of us struggles. It's okay. We do. It's okay. And it's okay to not be okay, but what I tell everybody, it's not okay to stay there. You can't stay there. You got to swing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talk about just start throwing punches. <laughs> Get up, right? So. Thank you for your time once again and being able to share more information than we did on the first time to what opioids and drug addiction is and what you're doing to make a difference based out of that moment being in that bathroom for seven days to fight against something you knew that you were worth more. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was this was a lot of fun. You yeah. got an amazing crew here. Absolutely. I do. Yeah, you do. I this, do. Is, this is cool. Oh, my gosh. Where do I end? Oh. I want to thank my studio sponsor, the Motivated Mind Group, located right here in downtown Chandler, your global creative agency. If you have a story you want to share, know someone who has a story, or you're a nonprofit organization making a difference in your community, please email me to the address of stories at christinehotchkiss.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well, and you take care.